Good morning. How's everyone? Good. Still a little sleepy. That's okay. My name's Eric, and if you don't know me, we'd love to get to meet you and help uh, introduce you to our church, get you connected to our church. There's a welcome center out in the courtyard. We have gifts and literature to help uh, connect you to our church or help you grow in your faith, so we'd love to do that with you. Uh, Next Sunday, we are going to have a church family business meeting. Uh, Really two things. One, we're going to honor and celebrate uh, two elders for six years of faithful service. So we're going to do that and have an exciting time. And then uh, two is we're going to have a vote on some information we shared uh, last week uh, about just what God is doing through our church and the opportunity uh, that has come because of it. And if you've noticed, um, God is growing our church. Lots of new faces and uh, new people, and it's hard to find parking, and there's lots of rooms being uh, used and taken and things moving around. And uh, we, this is not new news to us. It's something we've been praying for and looking at and just kind of noticed this trend that, man, people are coming to the church, and uh, what are we going to do? And we've you know, kind of heard stories of people trying to find a spot and space, and they leave and don't come, and how are we going to keep uh, ministering to the people? And, you know, through that kind of burden, we started to pray. And through that prayer, God, you know, has put an awesome opportunity in front of us uh, that someone has willingly donated land and said, hey, we want a Bible teaching church on is off of Allen, just south of White to the west side. And I said, we would love that 10 acres to be a Bible teaching church that uh, loves God's word and teaches God's word. Uh, but there would need to be uh, what's called the infrastructure cost. You know, that's the fun stuff like electricity, sewage, and curbing, all the really fun stuff. And that would be $2.2 million uh, to do that. And then as that process of praying and looking at that, like, oh, God, what would that be? What would that look like? Uh, a group of donors uh, decided that they would, they would like to see a church go there, and they would love to give a million dollars towards that uh, project. And so what we have now is tried to bring that before the church and say, hey, we believe God has opened these doors, and we would like to pursue that opportunity as uh, God continues to grow our church and we find ourselves in a place of needing more space uh, to do that. And so one of the questions that came up was, well, you know, what is the future and what is the vision and what does it look like and what's happening? And so essentially as we look through that, we're just going to take two weeks to look through, man, you know, maybe what is the vision and what is the future Uh, And where do we see that in Scripture? Where do we see God moving? And where do we see opportunities arise? And how do we see people walk through it? Um, But also, how does a church, do we look to the future? Um, Because as you look at our culture, it's getting more and more crazy. And it's becoming harder and harder to be a Christian. And there's more and more opposition. How do you walk in tumultuous times? How do you live a faithful and biblical life in the midst of that chaos and craziness? And what does it look like? And so we're going to draw from Nehemiah and see how God places a burden, uh, uses a prayer, and gives them an opportunity. And just use that to process, you know, what's happening in our culture and how are we to walk in the midst of it? So let's pray, and then we're going to dive in. God, we thank you for your word. Uh, We're thankful that you love us, that you uh, give us instruction, that you give us examples from your word that say, um, this is how godly people have passive handled hard things and, and what I did in them and through them. And it's our privilege uh, to open up our Bibles and learn. So we just pray that you would speak, that you would draw us close, that we'd have a sense of awe and trust and amazement for who you are and what you've done. And so we just thank you for this time we get to come together. 
Uh, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so here we are. We're in Nehemiah. And the book of Nehemiah starts with just a burden that Nehemiah has. You see, Nehemiah is underneath Persian control. Uh, They're ruling. They've conquered Israel, and Israel's in ruins. And uh, Nehemiah comes, and he hears that the walls of Jerusalem have fallen, and it is in great trouble. Look at verse 3. He says, there's a remnant in the providence who has survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates are destroyed by fire. And so I, what I want you to see is that there is, you know, the, the walls have come down, but what, he, what is breaking his heart uh, is the great trouble and shame. You see, God had warned Israel in the book of Jeremiah through the prophet Jeremiah that God is going to punish you for your sin. God is going to scatter you and destroy your land if you do not honor him and love him and live according to his commandments. And so they ignore that. They believe false prophets. False prophets come and say, God would never do that to you. God would never take uh, your land. God would never move you. God would never allow destruction to happen to you. So they don't change and they continue in their poor behavior uh, to defy and rebel against God. And so now what you see is a remnant of people that are broken, that are lost, and they're angry, and they're hurt. They're taking what they've seen as this broken land that God no longer loves them, God does not care about them, and God wants nothing to do with them. So it is in this setting and in this place you see Nehemiah, verse 4. He says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days. See, Nehemiah is heartbroken at the thought of his people not loving God, not trusting him, not listening to him. And now through the destruction of hard things, wanting nothing more to do with God, to permanently want to walk away and not trust him. And it absolutely breaks his heart in that way. And so the kind of the question for us this morning is, you know, Have you ever had a burden on your heart that was from the Lord? A burden that God placed for you to pursue, that God placed for you to take care of, for his glory uh, and for your good and for the good of others. Uh, Because what I see happening kind of in our culture, this is the, the vision part of this is, it seems like there's going to continue to be more and more people who grew up in church and find themselves in a disillusioned, angry, or bitter state towards Christ. And this is kind of what I think is happening. If you look, uh, for a while, there was Bible-teaching churches all around. It wasn't an uncommon thing. And I think the reason that was is for a period of time, the, the morals and principles of the Bible lined up with the morals and principles of the culture. And so the churches taught them because the culture agreed with them. And then what happens is the culture starts to depart from the biblical principles and the biblical teaching, and as goes the culture, goes the churches. So the biblical teaching becomes less and less, and the cultural teaching becomes more and more. And so then what happens is you find um, adults that were raised in that model, and there's, there's, there's two things happening, I believe. One is that Christians are going, wait a second, I'm coming to church, and every week it's self-help, it's health, wealth, and prosperity, 
It's you be the better you. It's woke. It's political. It's not from the Bible. And they're like, I, I need to find a new church. I need to find somewhere that's actually teaching the scriptures and teaching the Bible. And we're finding those people in our church, as our other Bible teaching churches. They feel lost, they feel confused, they feel lied to, and they find their way into a Bible teaching church. And they're like, man, I need to go back to how I was raised, to the word of God being the foundation of truth. And so I think that's one element. Then there's this other group, I think, they're becoming angry and lost, and they're not going to church. They want nothing to do with with God's people, and they kind of come up with this phrase, you know, we love Jesus, but we hate the church. And so essentially what they're saying is, you know what, I love the man, but I hate his wife. Now, if you're a man, you're not good friends with people that hate your wife, true? It's not a trick question, men. No, it's a bad principle. And so you have this, and so they're, they're starting their own kind of ways of doing church, of reading their own books and personality tests and singing kumbaya on the porch and having coffee and calling it church and saying it's Christianity, because they've been a part of this disillusionment uh, of people not honoring and listening to God's word. And so what we have to see is that we need to have a burden for those people. We need to have a burden for the people who either once knew the word of God but have lost their way, or for the people who want nothing to do with God because he's been portrayed inaccurately and wrongly by false prophets and false teachings from false pulpits. I think too often what happens is one of two things. Either we get in this holy huddle and we're like, hey, man, we got a good thing going on. Let's keep those weirdos away. And then when people come in, it's like, hey, get out of here. You're part of the the weird group. We got the good group here. Or this just becomes this all together, we could care less about them. That's their problem. And what's beautiful about Nehemiah as he sees the detachment from the word of God, from the following of God's commandments, and he's burdened by it. He's weeping, and he cares deeply about these people. It's like, man, they need to get back to the word of God. They need his word. And so he has a deep burden in his heart for these people. Now, as we think through that, has God put a burden on your heart to help people know Christ who don't know Christ or to help someone grow in their faith um, that is stranded or wounded in their faith. And it's important that if you have that burden, you don't ignore it. That if you have that burden, as we'll get here in a second, that you would pray through that and say, God, how am I to help these people? But two, let's maybe look through some different pieces of how do I know it's an actual burden and how do I know what to do about the burden? Uh, Because I think not... Every burden you have is meant for you to be fulfilled or even meant to be fulfilled in the way you think it should be fulfilled sometimes. Uh, I know uh, when I was young, did a lot of mission trips and it kind of felt like, you know, I love missions. And then I married a woman who loves missions and together we'd kind of thought, you know, man, it would be great. We'll go somewhere five, six years We'll overseas, probably like India, and we'll just serve the Lord. I'll go to seminary there, and then we'll come back and start a family. Well, nine months into our marriage, God decided to start a family quicker than we did. And so we find ourselves going, well, God, what about this? We were supposed to go, and that was the plan, and I I have this burden. Well, praise God, he's smarter than me because I would have failed as a missionary because 
The reality is when I go, I can only last so long until I need to come home and be in my bed with my food and my people. I'm just a big wimp, okay? And so the good is that God did put that burden in my heart, but to go and visit, teach, and then leave, to raise up people, to send people, to labor on their behalf, to champion them, and to help people go. Because the the burden was there, but it was not to be a full-time missionary. That was not God's call in my life, but it was to be a part of my life. And so sometimes, you know, you have a burden, and God wants you to be a part of it, but it's not in the way that you think sometimes. And he unfolds it. It's like, oh, this is the role you play in that. It's like, oh, okay, God, that makes it clear. You see, at that time, God had placed a, a bigger burden on my heart. And that was really what I was supposed to do. And that was to be with youth. I had a huge heart, you know, for high school and junior high students. Why? Because I grew up in the church with no dad. And and those years were huge for me. That's where people um, slapped me, loved me, encouraged me, redirected me, and helped me grow in my faith. And there was just this huge heart for that. And God provided opportunities for me to step into those environments and teach and help. And then what's funny is, is, I actually had no burden for adults. Like, not to be mean to you guys, but you guys are hard, okay? Really, really hard. And when you're in high school ministry, it's like, hey, were you drunk on Friday night? And they're like, ah. It's like, okay, let's come talk. You ask an adult, hey, did you do something dumb on Friday night? They're like, you're so funny, pastor, right? Like, there's this layers of poker they play. And it's, their life is falling apart, but they're just seasoned veterans. They're like, pastor, how can I pray for you? Right? And they're turning around, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on and what's happening. Uh, but as God moved me along in my life, I became a deep burden for the adults. And God said, you need to preach God's word to these people. What are you talking about? Just understanding that God places burdens differently in timing. Um, but he always, always gives you the opportunity. And that will also be surrounded with people that come alongside you and agree with and help you move into fulfilling that burden. You're not going to find yourself... Uh, with a burden that no one agrees with, that no one wants to partake in. An example would be this, this happens, you know, unfortunately, is um, a guy will see a girl, and he'll be like, God is telling me to marry her, right? And he's saying, oh, that's my burden. The Lord has placed this upon me. And then he goes and talks to her, and she's like, dude, I'm way out of your league. I have no attraction to you and no desire to be in this relationship, and so what really you think is a burden is an infatuation, and, and uh, you think she's really pretty. That's all it is. Now, the, God does work miracles sometimes, and that girl's heart all of a sudden comes, and she ends up agreeing with, hey, I, I actually am attracted to you. It's a miracle. I don't know how, but God put this in my heart. What happens sometimes, unfortunately, is that this guy will tell that girl, and I'll give a sermon like this, and then one of those women will come to me, and she'll say, I married that guy because he told me God told him. I actually, to this day, still hate him and not attracted to him. But they were manipulated through what God said. You see, when, when God says, and God places a burden, and God tells you, not only is there a prayer that affirms this and an opportunity that affirms this, there's also other godly people that come and agree with this and show you. As you look through Nehemiah, it's not just him on his own. He has this burden. And then let's get to the second part. He prays about this burden. And he prays, God, if this is what you're telling me, I need the opportunity. I need these things to come into place. And then after that prayer, he's, the opportunity is provided through the king 
sending him. He's the number two guy in charge to the king. The king, by miracle, says, hey, Nehemiah, I want you to go. You're gonna, you can do this. You have a burden for your people. I'm going to let you go and rebuild this wall and, and rebuild this city. And then as he's there and he starts to present, the people of Israel come alongside him and work with him to do this. And in the process of rebuilding the wall, it's actually rebuilding the people. It's rebuilding the people to love God, to come back to his word. And in the process of building the walls, Nehemiah starts drawing them back to, hey, you need to come back to the Sabbath. You need to celebrate God. You need to worship him. You need to get your marriages back together. You guys are intermarrying. You're having um, believers marry with unbelievers. And these unbelieving people have other gods and you're adapting their gods and being polytheistic and worshiping multiple gods. And it's diluting God's word, and it's diluting the faith. And have we not learned from Solomon that as he intermarried lots of different religions, that his faith starts to diminish and he gets lost and confused? Let's not do that. Let's marry people who love the Lord and have the same conviction, keep a purity of the faith. So he's drawing them back to this in the process. The people are responding. So he has a burden, he has a prayer, he has an opportunity, he has an affirmation, and he has actual growth coming out of that. Okay, so but let's look at how does he pray? He has a burden and he takes it before the Lord. So how does he start? I want you to catch this. Let's look here in, in verse five. He says, and I said, oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love, steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Notice he starts by praising the Lord. I think too often we look around in our culture and we see burdens and we see evil and we see hard things and our prayers do not start with, oh, amazing, wondrous God. They start with, God, how could you? God, why is this? God, how come this? God, I did not do this for that to happen. God, if you were loving, why wouldn't this happen? If you were kind, why isn't this happening? God, why not? And it's an indictment on God because what we see unfolding doesn't match what we see is going on in our heart, that those two are incompatible. Mind you, the wall is destroyed, the place is in ruins, and the prayer is wonderful, mighty, great God, keeps his covenant, keeps his commandments. And so you look at that's how he starts his prayer. And so as God's maybe stirred up a burden in you that there's people that don't know Christ and you have a heart for them, or there's people who are believing false teaching and they're running you know, in churches that aren't teaching the Bible and they're attaching themselves to bad things, that you don't come to the Lord in anger. You come to the Lord in awe. You come to the Lord in reverence. And the second thing I want you to see is he comes to the Lord in repentance Let's look here at verse six. It says, let your ear be attentive to your eyes open and hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. See, here's the thing. What's the next step in this prayer? As he confesses sin and repents of his own sin and his, his father's and his household's sin, 
Why is that important? Because here is the great temptation of all Bible teaching churches. It is arrogance. It is in arrogance sometimes that when you're at a church that's teaching you, this is what the word of God says. This is who God actually is. This is what Christ says. That all of a sudden you find yourself in a position to see errors and see faulty teaching and you see things and say, look at how dumb those people are. Oh my gosh, and you laugh and you mock. And then people who come from disillusioned churches that are wayward or not teaching the word of God, they come and it's in the arrogance sometimes that Bible teaching churches say, why are you here? You're part of that other church. Go over there. You don't actually read your Bible. You don't actually do what your Bible says. And I want you to catch that from the very beginning, Nehemiah does away with that. And he says, for I am a sinner, a people of sin. They've sinned, I've sinned. We both need your forgiveness. How easy would it be for Nehemiah to sit in his high place, serving the king, eating the king's food, eating the benefits of the king, to look down on Israel, to look down on Jerusalem and say, Jeremiah warned you. You got exactly what you deserved. You guys are so dumb and so ignorant. I hope you stay there. I hope you get what you deserve. See, Nehemiah is guarded against that by coming to the Lord first and I too am a sinner. I too deserve punishment. I too fall short. Oh God, please have mercy on us. We need you. See, that haughtiness has no place in the church. And it's very important that we see that as you've been raised with the Bible teaching you and shaping you and forming you, it is to your blessing. And it is in that blessing you're to share that with other people who need that encouragement, that need the truth of the word of God to be encouraged, to be grown up, not shut out, not kicked out, not judged, but loved. Uh, a prime example, maybe an easy to understand example is sometimes this happens in the youth ministry. You know, we'll be at camp and I'll be hanging out with them. I mean, I love our kids. And one of, the, one of the things you'll notice, you teach kids the Bible, they catch on quick and they're smart and they get it. And sometimes they're smarter than the guys teaching. And some one of the speakers will say something. They'll be like, hey, pastor, that guy wasn't using the Bible. It's like, you know what? You're right. Why is that a problem? Well, because truth comes from God's word. What should we do? Well, you should probably talk to him or pray for him. Absolutely. See, in that moment, you want that pastor to succeed, not, can you believe that church? They're so dumb. I'm so glad our church is better. I'm so glad we're smarter than them. Same thing with the worship. That wasn't accurate. You're right. Why wasn't it accurate? What would make it accurate? Maybe we should pray for that. Maybe we should, you know, that's why we want to work hard to show people this is what God's word actually says. You fall into that haughtiness when you're not praying as Nehemiah prayed. Oh God, I'm a sinner. Oh God, help me help these people. Help us both, Lord. And see, I think the temptation sometimes is that you see God growing and you see God moving and you somehow think what's happening is magical or something is, you know, special. 
And the reality is there's nothing magical about our church. It's just that there's less and less Bible teaching churches. So what we're doing becomes more unique because it's becoming less and less. But the reality is from the beginning, you're to teach God's word and love God's people so that you can reach the lost people. Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. They can't be a light to the nations if they're an unhealthy mess. And so Nehemiah sees this and he says, I have to go help them come back to the word of God, come back to a passion for God and his word, a fidelity to his word. Then as they are healthy and they are reborn, they can what? Now go and be a light to the nations because the healthy people will accurately portray and teach who God is so that the nations who don't know him might know the truth of God. Not lies about God, not that he's this unloving, uncompassionate God. No, he is a great God, good God, faithful God, keeps his covenant, steadfast in his love. So Nehemiah has this burden to go love these people and build these people up and draw these people back. And his prayer is, God, I am a sinner. God, these people are a sinner. Verse 10, again, a part of his prayer, they're your servants. They're your people whom you have redeemed by your great power, by your strong hand. He said, God, this is you. This is you. This is you. You're going to do the work. 11, oh Lord, let your ear be attentive and prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. Now here comes the request within the prayer. Notice before he gets to the request, he confesses his sin. He acknowledges the greatness of God. He brings his own sins before God. And then he gets to, and give me success to your servant today. Grant him mercy in the sight of this man. See, Nehemiah knows it's a long shot that the king he works for, he's the number two to the king. He's the cupbearer. He goes and gets all the things for the king. He even drinks the, the juice before he gives it to the king to prove that the king's not being poisoned. He has an important place that the king has to give him permission to go. And why would the king give him permission to go and rebuild a city that doesn't benefit the king? So he says, God, I pray for mercy. You've burdened my heart with this. I pray that I would have success as I talk to the king. So he goes to the king. And he doesn't even bring it up. The king sees, Nehemiah, you're sad. Why are you sad? And he says, I'm, how could I not be sad as my people lie in waste, as they lie in shame, and they're far away, and there's nothing I can do. And the king says, what, should I send you? Should I send you? And he's like, if it pleases you, king, if it pleases you, I will go. And a miracle happens. He, the king, grants Nehemiah permission to go. So he goes, and now he has this great opportunity to draw God's people back to himself through building the wall. And so now he finds himself in this beautiful opportunity. Here's the thing. When you pursue opportunities that the God has given you, it does not mean that there will not be opposition, that there will not be opposition in the process of drawing people back to God or bringing God, people to God that never knew him. If you look in chapter two and you look at verse 10 
Um, Nehemiah is being confronted. And it says, Sandoval, the Horonite of Tobiah, the Amorite servant, I've heard this. These are his words. It displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. He's like, really? Someone's here to actually help these people? Why are they irritated? Because they wanted to take advantage of and plunder these lowly people. Great, now there's someone here to help them. Someone here to encourage them. And so in their anger, they become an opposition to this process. They start to kind of cast doubt on Israel and on, in Jerusalem. Your God won't rebuild this. You're silly. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your money. You're wasting your effort. This is a fruitless, frivolous, pointless, pointless process, pointless goal. Quit trying to do this. And so they begin to try and attack, and Nehemiah encourages them, we will build with one hand on our stone and one hand on our sword as we trust the Lord to rebuild this process. He prays over and over again, God will protect us, God will provide us, provide for us. And you see the people start to gain confidence that God is going to protect them, that God is with them, and God is continuing his mission with them to be a light to the nations. Then you look at the end of the book, they rebuild the wall. And all of a sudden, you, t- you, you have what was a once disappointed, depleted, disillusioned people broken up into groups. They send a choir to the north, and they send a choir to the south. To the south, and they worship and they sing and they praise as loud as they can because God has kept his word. God has provided, and it says that you could hear them from miles. You see, in the opportunity, Nehemiah stepped out. People came along, and God provided. Here's the reality as we walk through these next years in our culture, there's going to be a tremendous opportunity for you to share God's word with people because God's word is not being taught and shared faithfully the way it once was. And there's gonna be people who are running with the culture that should know better. And they're gonna find themselves trying to support their son or their daughter transitioning to a different gender. Or they're gonna support the adoption of two males taking in a child, or they're going to, you know, support something of the culture. It's going to fall apart. And you're going to have an opportunity as a Christian who stands on God's word to speak the very truth that they need. And it might be at a cost to you. It might cost you your job. It might cost you a friendship. It might cost you a membership. It might cost you finances. It might cause you to get a fine. It might cause people to spread hate about you, to go on campaigns about you. And the question is, as God places a burden on your heart and you pray for that burden, will you then take the opportunities that God provides for you? Because the Bible is being taught less. And as a Bible teaching church, we will have tremendous opportunity to help those who need it who need to hear from the Lord, who need to hear God's design for marriage, God's design for finances, God's design for morality, God's design in the home, God's design to be a man, God's design to be a woman, God's design over and over again. They need to be brought back to God's actual intent. 
And so God might put it on your heart and there's a, these are the people that are lost. I think I might need to do a Bible study with them. There's all these people who are lost. I, I need to pray with them, but I need to pray biblically with them. I need to teach them how the scriptures talk about prayer. Maybe you find yourself in an opportunity, you see kids. And here's the thing is, within opportunity, God also provides the gifting, the resources, and the ability to meet that opportunity. You know, I, I love kids, but there's no way I could be a kindergartner teacher. I volunteered one day and I didn't last. I went home crying, like I could never do that. I got a group of kids and this one's telling me that he wants to kill his sister and this one wants to you know, rule the government and this one wants to eat glue. And I'm like, but you guys need to cut squares, just cut the squares. And they're overthrowing the table and I'm like, how do you do this? I have no gift to do that, no ability to do that. But God bless you, whoever you are, some of you have that gift. And you can look at those kids gently and patiently and help them put the glue down and focus on the square and show them the love of Christ and the patience of Christ and the kindness of Christ and model Christ-likeness to them. You have that gift. You have that opportunity. But you're also in an environment that you're like, I don't like this and this is hard. And should I quit? And should I leave? Should I hang it up? This is why we need to talk about these things. You have an opportunity and a gifting. How does God want you to handle that? How does he want you to act in that space? In the same way, some of you are sitting, there, what, are, what are the school systems teaching? What are they indoctrinating our children with? And you're like, you know what? I think maybe I need to homeschool them, which is a fine thing to ask. But first ask the question, are you actually gifted to teach your kids? Because not everyone should be a teacher. Again, if I homeschooled my kids, either they'd be dead or I'd be dead. Someone would kill someone because the gifting's not there. And so you have this burden. How are you going to fulfill that need? How are you going to trust the Lord in that? How are you going to remain faithful in that? These are the great questions in front of us, are they not? And we have to know, how will I take the burden that God has placed on me prayerfully approach it and then walk through the opportunity that he provides to fulfill it. Because the reality is it might come at a great cost. It might come at the cost of your finances, of your friendships, of your families. Over and over again, Nehemiah is threatened. He's condemned. He's contradicted, but he remains faithful. God put a burden on my heart. God gave me the opportunity. God keeps providing. People keep coming. People keep building. They're starting to go to church. They're celebrating the Sabbath. They're starting to marry other believers, honoring the Lord, raising their children. They're coming back. I'm going to stay the course for the glory of God and the good of the people. It is times like this that we have to process as Nehemiah processed. But we have to understand the humility in which he comes and the prayerfulness in which he comes. And then lastly, that's the courageousness in which he comes with. And as a church, we want to walk in that way in this future. We want to read our Bibles. We want to listen to God's word. And we want to walk through the opportunities he provides because God has placed us in those opportunities for a reason.
We wanna do it for his glory and our good, amen? Okay, some questions for us to think through as we, uh, as we process all of this. Question one, what are the burdens of your heart and are you praying about them or ignoring them? So many times I will talk to people and they'll be like, you know, I've always had this desire, but they never did anything about it. This is why oftentimes you'll see guys go into ministry way later in their life or people will go back into a profession or they'll change professions or they'll start a study or they'll start a prayer. It's out of this great reluctance. God, I'm not smart enough. God, I don't know how. God, I don't have the tools. But the burden is there. Rather than ignoring maybe something that God is placing on your heart, start praying about it. God, I I have this burden, but I have this fear. God, if this is you, uh, bring an affirmation, someone to affirm this in my life. God, open the door. Show me the opportunity to do this. Just like in Nehemiah, people affirm. God encourages. God opens the door. Do not run from the burdens that God is placing on your heart. Pray for them. And sometimes it's gonna be like what I shared earlier. Sometimes you might just play a small part. Sometimes you might be the main part. Sometimes you might just be a part of it from a distance. But praying through that, not ignoring it. Two, why is opposition not always a bad thing? Sometimes opposition is the very confirmation that you're doing the right thing. Because when you're trying to reach people with the word of God, build them in their faith, help them be faithful to God, there's always another group of people saying, oh, wait, now you're taking my audience. You're taking away the people I was going to try and sway to my side. And so opposition isn't always a bad thing. Three, how does it look to have faith in the midst of opposition? Staying the course, not changing the Bible, having humility as you stay the course and you see people coming to our church, you have a humility that says, hey, I don't know you. What's going on in your life? And maybe you have an opportunity to help them be faithful, help them grow in their faith, remembering how God grew you in your faith and how God encouraged you through other people that you are staying the course and God's bringing people here so you can help them stay the course. As the world gets more crazy, you're gonna get beat up out there You need to be able to come here and get loved, get encouraged, get your head put back on straight, get your heart put in the right place so you can go back out into the craziness and be faithful to what God wants you to do. Four, why is repentance an important part of prayer? Because of the humility that comes with repentance. I too am a sinner. I too need Christ. And then when you see people, you don't see superiority, you don't see smart Christian, dumb Christian, you don't see mature Christian, little Christian, you see sinner saved by grace, sinner saved by grace. They need Christ, I need Christ. See, when we pray and we forget the repentance, it's when arrogance and haughtiness comes. That's when you get the prayer of the Sadducees and the Pharisees that Jesus specifically comes against. When when they pray like, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like them. Jesus condemns that type of praying. And rather, he honors and blesses the type of prayers that Nehemiah has. God, I am a great sinner. Have mercy on me. And grant me the opportunity to help these people. Five, are there opportunities that God has given you that you have ignored or been too afraid to pursue? How can you adjust your life to not do that in the future? 
Can you sit down and say, okay, God, what, what are some things that just won't go away? That, that, that you just keep placing on my heart that I need to do. And you write that down and you start praying, God, this is what you want me to do. Show me, grow it in my heart. Bring people around to affirm me. God, forgive me for disobeying. God, forgive me for not doing this earlier. God, please forgive my sin and show me the way to get to that path if that's what you want me to do. And then walk through the doors that he opens and celebrate him as he opens them. And be faithful no matter how hard it gets. Because as the world falls apart, it needs Christ and Christ crucified and his gospel and his word. And if we don't have the boldness to share it, shame on us. This is where the book of Nehemiah is so important. Be faithful. Be faithful. Pray often and walk in faith through the opportunities he provides. Because he is worth it and he is glorious and it is to our good to do that. Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you. We praise you and we thank you uh, that you love us, that you provide biblical examples of walking in faith through hard times, staying the course, remembering we're sinners that are forgiven, that need Jesus, and empowering and equipping us to share that with other people in our current culture and to the ends of the earth. You would equip us and send us for your glory. Help us remove barriers that get in the way and help us trust you in the process. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, here at LBC, uh, we take communion two times a month. Uh, we do not believe it's an act of salvation, but rather it's a symbolic remembrance of what Christ did on the cross. It's something in the scriptures that we're called to partake of, celebrate, and remember as we gather. And so just, you know, the, the quick part is the bread, his body broken, uh, the blood, the juice poured out on our behalf, our sins paid for that we couldn't. Uh, when you take the, when you go to take the elements, go bread first so that you don't spill the juice uh, when you go for the bread, right? So get the bread first, and then you'll be ready. You don't want to spill. Uh, what's good about communion, or what is important about communion, is it's actually a chance to do what you see in the text. Confess before the Lord the sins that you have. Coming to that deep humility that you're a sinner saved by grace. See, the beauty is that the New Testament, First John tells us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive. When we confess, he forgives. And so it's a time to come before the Lord and say, here are my fears. Here are my sins. Here's my selfishness. Christ, you paid for that selfishness. You paid for that sin. And I couldn't. And so you come from a place of mourning and regret in your sinfulness. And then you come to a place of celebration and thankfulness and gratefulness that Christ paid for your sin on the cross. His blood shed in your place. And that through the resurrection, rising from the dead, sin is paid for, conquered. Death is conquered. And now we get to be with God forever because of Christ.
And at the end of that, the important part is we will stand and John's going to lead us in time of worship. It's a chance, just like in the book of Nehemiah, they saw God's faithfulness and they stand at the wall and they sing so loud because they're so grateful for the faithfulness of God. It says that people could hear them for miles. We have an opportunity to celebrate Christ in that same way and that same gratefulness and that same thankfulness for his work on the cross. And so we encourage you to do that. If you have kids with you, Man, it's great to model. What does it look like to confess sin? What does it look like to be thankful for the work of Jesus? And then what does it look like to sing with all your heart that you're grateful for the work of Christ? You're grateful for his faithfulness in your life. You're grateful to be his child, for him to be your savior. And it's good for non-Christians to see it well. We're not bitter, angry people. We're grateful, thankful, forgiven sinners that love Christ and his work. So I'm going to pray and you have an opportunity to take communion in your own timing. And then after a while, John's going to come up and lead us in a great celebration for the work of Christ. So let's pray. God, we love you. We praise you and we thank you um, that you love us. You forgive us that Christ crucified uh, is the payment for our sins. I pray that we would plumb the depths of our heart and search for the work your son Jesus has done on our behalf we would confess the sin that put him there. And then we would celebrate him overcoming sin and overcoming death, allowing us to be in a relationship with God forever because of Christ, by faith, and the free gift of Christ through grace, free gift. Jesus is ours, eternally ours, that we would end in great celebration. We pray you would move and lead in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.